Welcome to Perspectives YYC. Today, I had the great honor and pleasure of inviting and getting to speak with George Weber, one of the most renowned uh, photographers here in Alberta, probably in Canada. I got to tell him why I think he's so cool about the time we met, and then he got to divulge amazing insight into the culture and growth of photography as an art and art in general in this city over the last 40 some odd years. I hope you find it as valuable to you listening to it as it was for me to speak with him about being an artist in this city. Um, and if you get a chance to give us that rating, follow us in this new season of Perspectives Why We See, that'd be greatly appreciated too. Um, if this does get out in time, George is going to be figuring prominently in the Exposure Photography Festival here, February 2019 in Calgary. Uh, check his stuff out. I think, Kyle, he said three hours on uh, documentary photography. That will be amazing because it's not just photography, photography. He's just a nice guy. All right, that's enough out of me. Enjoy, and uh, we'll chat uh, at the next introduction of the next episode. Thanks. George Weber, thank you for coming. I, uh, I think um, I, I want to kind of talk about the first time I met you to express a little bit why I'm so excited that you're here, um, being such a nice guy that you are. But having run into you at the camera store about a month ago uh, and casually asking if you'd be on my podcast and you simply saying, yep, <laughs> and now you're here is, uh, I don't know, that sums it all up anyways. But uh, welcome, George. And uh, maybe I'll ask, like, how, how are you today? Thank you. Well, yeah, I, you know, I'm honored. This is kind of a first for me. I've never uh, done a podcast. I feel I'm in uh, competent, friendly hands here. So thank you. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I'll try not to ruin that impression. Yeah, I, yeah. Do that. <laughs> do that for me, will you? I'll just say, I suppose, two years ago, I met you at the Result Photo uh, Gallery Show uh, at the Q&A. And uh, we briefly chatted about it before we started recording, but uh, you, you remember that I was in the audience 
what you didn't know is, I mean, I was uh, suffering through uh, major mental issues at that time, and I was petrified. I, uh, I had just met Costas, and he had told me to come and meet you and Chris. And um, I can't remember the gentleman that's now based in Toronto uh, that was showing with you. The uh, uh, was that perhaps uh, Kyle or Zelina? Kyle, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, great Q and A. I mean, um, Elise and uh, Philip and all these people. Everyone was there. It was great, and um, and I was petrified. It turned out Alvin Perringer was there, and I have now his. A photography boyfriend, but we didn't even talk to each other at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I just noticed how good looking he was, eh, Kyle? Just to, you know, okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it was all wrapping up and I was feeling self-pitying. And then uh, Costas, because Costas is Costas, uh, told me to go talk to you. And I mm -hmm. thought, why would someone who's being told to me is like one of the most uh, prominent, you know, awarded, uh, respected photographers in the province, in, the, in maybe in the country, uh, talk to me? And George, you spent 10 minutes easily um, just sharing knowledge about leaving rolls of film uh, for years to separate context, about uh, you know following my own passions, not being guided by what other people um, think is the right way to approach this and that. And uh, I want to bring that up mostly because, um, I don't know, it's, it's inspiring to meet someone who uh, is so open, even being awarded. And uh, I don't know if you remember any of that stuff, but I, I want to start there. And I think that's also why when I look at all your work and hear stories about your process, and I hope we can delve into that, uh, I suspect that's just part of your personality. I, I don't know, there's something moving personally. Uh, this is not to kiss ass. Like, I, I, I remember after that meeting, I went to the camera store and I picked up um, maybe Badlands or something. And uh, even your landscape photography, if I just quickly, without context, I'll open it up. I, I feel something. I don't know. It's weird. So um, I just want to thank you for that and uh, kind of start there about, um, yeah, this approach you have, I think. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. But why would you talk to someone like me, George? And uh, <laughs> what was in it for you? And uh, how does that involve uh, your art process and your work with photography? Well, thanks very much. You know, I was, uh, you know, it's always really, it's, it's, it's an honor. And, you know, it's not something that a person can't fake. And I was, uh, I was really struck by your, your honest enthusiasm, quite frankly, and your, your sort of respectful, curious nature. And it just, you know, it just, it won me over quite simply, you know. And, uh, you know, when creative work is ultimately sort of a solitary thing, you kind of do it for your own reasons, I think. And you do it sort of, often privately and confidentially and you know you have interaction in terms of sometimes uh there's an exhibition or a publication or a book or an article is written or something like that but you know really there's something uh that's authentically warming and, and heartening and encouraging when you're in the presence of somebody who really values what you do and that was uh you know i remember not the specifics, but I remember your face, your respectful posture, your, your enthusiasm, your energy, and it was I was I was really touched by it. Uh, and uh, and I'm uh, you know I've, I've been very fortunate. I've been able to do something that I love very much for many years, and uh, I really do believe that it's been a an important part of my getting through life, uh, getting out of my head, you know, surviving in a sense. And uh, I think it has. It has value for people, and I, I got the sense that you were a person too who might be, uh, uh, whose life might be uh, improved and uh, strengthened and bettered by uh, by your connection to the creative uh, work. And uh, so I, you know, I, I felt a connection. 
We touched on it a little bit briefly in our pre-chat, but that connection, I mean, maybe if you feel open about it, uh, I mean, how did you come in to be where you're at? Um, I always assumed, of course, that you were trained in a photojournalism school and, you know, worked for this and everything, but it, it doesn't sound like that. Because maybe you could give us an idea of where this, I suppose, attitude, persona, um, philosophy, if you will, comes from. I mean, how did you come into art and photography in general then? Sure. Well, you know, it's, uh, it is an interesting story and uh, kind of a blessing, kind of a, a bit of good fortune. Um, as some people know, I have a political science and a journalism degree uh, that I, political science degree from U of A and the journalism degree from Carleton University. And um, in the mid-1970s, when I'd finished university, I kind of kicked around for a while, but I had an opportunity, uh, a great blessing as it turned out, and a kind of a decisive thing in my life. I was hired uh, at SAIT to work as a writer, and um, SAIT had a couple of staff writers at that time in their media production department, and uh, we did everything from press releases to instructional booklets to whatever. But one of the first projects I got was to uh, write a series of six short film scripts, 15-minute film scripts, and we actually were still shooting at that time on 16-millimeter film. And uh, the subject was uh, darkroom techniques, developing and printing film. So I got this assignment, and my heart immediately sank because I didn't like photography. I didn't like technical stuff. I thought, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to do this, right? But I, it was something that was one of my first assignments from my boss, so I, I said yes. Uh, so I started doing a bit of research. Part of it was talking to people. Uh, part of it was actually uh, doing some research at the State Library. I was going through a lot of the technical books, and I was, you know, putting together something that I thought would be appropriate. But I soon gravitated over. To, there was a series of, uh, there was a shelf of books uh, of artist portfolios, and I saw a spine on a book with a strange. French name that I'd never seen before, Henri Cartier-Bresson. So I pulled the book down, I walked back to the table, I started going through the book. When I closed the book, I knew in my heart of hearts that more than anything in the world, I wanted to be a photographer. That was 44 years ago, and by the grace of God, that happened. And I think what it was about Cartier-Bresson's work was, um, for people who don't know the work, he's a very esteemed street photographer. And I think it tapped into me, into a couple of elements of my own personality. One was, there was this beautiful sense of design. He was pulling from daily life. And I also got the sense that you didn't have to be all that techie to be a photographer. Photography could be an intuitive practice in which uh, the technical side could be uh, subordinated to the, to the idea of looking. And my curiosity, you know, of, of watching people in public places, you know, on buses and streets and that sort of a thing, his skill at doing it and the, and the perception that maybe it wasn't so technically difficult that I could try doing this myself, it was like lightning bolt stuff, right? It literally was. I mean, I literally opened the book, closed the book, and my life absolutely changed in those uh, 10 minutes. You know, after that, I started to look at work by other photographers like uh, Diane Arbus and Bruce Davidson. And um, that capacity that they had for entering into very intimate private spaces, winning the trust of their subjects, and then photographing, that was just like catnip. I just was so entranced by the photography 
and entranced by the idea of, 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 of entering into these private spaces and how do you earn your way into those places to get that sort of access to do those photographs. It's been one of the joys and sustaining elements of my life now for approaching 45 years. Oh, that's amazing. I, I mean, number one, Henri, Henri Carter Bristol. Um, I remember stumbling upon him. Uh, I don't know how I got introduced to the concept of Magnum, et cetera, because I, I, I wasn't hanging out with uh, photographers or anything like that. But ultimately, one of the books that I kept through the KonMari process that my wife is a master of now um, was the Magnum photo book encyclopedia. Yeah, I know it. Yep. I don't know why I had it. It's expensive, but I bought it on Amazon like the, the month before. And Bresson's work is incredible, especially when you look at, because they have his um, his actual roles. So his, it, his contact his sheets. His contact sheets. Exactly, David. Yeah. So um, you get, yeah, the sense of design and then his sense of being able to connect with the moment that becomes that resonating image. Because he's not telling these kids to pose or, or I mean, not always kids, but you know, the one that stands into my mind in that uh, war torn, I can't remember uh, which country, but I know that one you mean, I, I yeah. believe that was shot in Spain. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, th- I think I know the one you're talking about. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so like there's three, um, I don't know, three, four five before and after, and they're all okay. And then he'll hit that one where just whatever it is, you know, that that's amazing. Uh, well, what what he described, as you know, as the, the decisive moment, you know, there, there's a, it's a combination of uh, intuition, timing, luck, doing it a lot, uh, being in the right place at the right time. And yeah, but, but his ability to, to do it over and over and over and over again, and to do it in such a kind of a graceful, you know, manner so that it's not overt, but it, it's there. There's, there's something beautiful, but it, but there's an invitation for the viewer to enter into it and, and, you know, really appreciate that the depth of that beauty. So the, the, the viewer of a Cartier-Bresson photograph really has to engage with it in the way that, um, you know, a lot of contemporary photography is meant to be just pow in your face. The whole thing is right there right now. But his work uh, is, is more of a whisper than a shout. It, it draws you in gently. And I I agree. It's just, it's magical. I got to tell you something. I'm going to boast about this because it's so cool. Many years ago, I was in Montreal and um, doing a photography exhibit. And I met a gentleman there named Sam Tata. Now, that's a name you're not likely to know. Uh, Sam Tata was uh, born in India. He actually, uh, for a number of years, was uh, kind of essentially a guide to Cartier-Bresson when Cartier-Bresson was doing a lot of his work in India. And so I met this guy, Sam Tata, in Montreal. Uh, had a chance to have lunch with him, did some portraits of him, and then sent one of the portraits to HCB, care of Magnum, right? About a month later, I got this hand-typed uh, letter signed, which is now tagged up in my dark room at home, thanking me for the photograph of Sam Tata and, and asking me to, to wish him well. Now, Cartier-Bresson, I don't think, realized the relationship between Calgary and Montreal in terms of the distance. You know, I, I never sat, saw Sam Tata again after that moment. But that's a treasured little moment for me and a treasured little possession to have that little, that just that little fleeting uh, brush with this man who had changed my life. And um as you may also be aware, when I did a book on the Hutterites, it was published in the 2005. The book is dedicated to Cartier-Bresson. The book came out in 2005. He passed away in 2004. 
this the other th thing that was striking me as we were talking about this. I mean, uh, yeah, Henri Carbrisson's uh, he's a bit older and he he started uh, quite a little bit earlier, but you are peer to so many of these people and and you are yourself uh, such a well-acknowledged artist. I mean, what has that been like to kind of be a creator in this medium that itself was kind of, you know, it's not like painting or sculpture that relies on two to 5,000 years of history. I mean, photography has only been around since, you know, the late 19th century, essentially. Uh, mm -hmm. And then like uh, accessible photography uh, for a single human being, like to go out in the street, for example. I mean, that's even less so. Mm -hmm. um, so you've seen quite an evolution, I think, um, in both the intent, the access, uh, what's, what different types of photography even mean, you know? Uh, I'm not even sure if Henri Carter Brisson would call himself a street photographer per se in that era. Uh, I, what, what is that uh, context for you looking back at it? Now, I noticed I, I poked at something and you're using a digital camera now, which is feels like, a, you know, a big, big change. But how has that been for you over the, the 44 some odd years you've been doing this? Well, it's interesting. And, and, you know, and Cartier-Bresson often referred to himself as, you know, as, as a surrealist. He, he really regarded himself as um, sort of a, a child of the, you know, of, 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 the, of the traditional media, cubism, surrealism, and, and the like. And that really always informed his work. But he, he, he went along with the idea of photojournalist or street photographer because people sort of understood that. Um, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, technically, as you know, the very first photograph that we know was taken in 1826 by a man named Nepsa. It's a picture of a building exterior from an elevated vantage point. The first photograph that we know of of a human being was a picture taken by a gentleman named Louis Daguerre who invited the daguerreotype. Uh, taken in 1839. It's a street scene in France, and some guy had put his boot up on a, on a box to have his shoe shine because he was there long enough for the lengthy exposure to be rendered on film. We have that photograph. So it's, it is interesting because, um, you know, photography was regarded as a commercial uh, and image-making thing. It was very popular from the beginning because of uh, the middle class, lower middle class people could actually have an image made of themselves in a way that before that, you had to be wealthy to, to commission a painter. Uh, you know, some people think that pointed uh, photographers like Alfred Stieglitz, um, you know, in the early uh, 1900s is really the beginning of photography being perceived as a sort of a serious art form. You know, then you sort of leap forward to, the say, the 1950s. There were some very important uh, things that happened in New York in terms of photography, actually, there actually there were actually galleries in the 1950s and 60s in New York where you could buy photography. I've always been a fan, obviously, of, of the history, and I consider the timing of my birth fortuitous because um, probably about the first roughly 20 years of my career, uh, it was all film, you know. And if you step back from today, you know, and um, uh, 2019, you're kind of looking at kind of the, the birth of, uh, of digital photography. I, I love film. Um, I still shoot a lot of film. I've got a beautiful dark room. So I'm, I'm born in a time where, where I learned those traditions, love them, continue to have the opportunity to, uh, to use them, you know, to take up my Leica or Hasselblad and spend time with the Hutterites uh, or, you know, photographing in small towns and then printing those, crafting those images in the darkroom. I would say certainly recently, because I, I've been doing a lot more color photography, 
and some of my favorite color films like Kodachrome are no longer available. I, I do a lot of my personal, my serious work on digital cameras. But I will say, I'm always my natural uh, sort of compass always points to the classic. You know, I pretty much always worked with either a 35 or a 50 millimeter lens. So things like um, the uh, the most recent book that I've had uh, produced, Alberta book, is is a blend actually of both digital and film imagery. You know, if you look at the the compositions of those photographs and the the approach and the aesthetic. Uh, the photographs taken 20 or 30 years ago and the more recent ones, they, they are of a piece, right? And that, that's, again, one of the legacies of, for me of, of Cartier-Bresson's approach. The way that I shoot, the way that he shot was the, the photographs, a big informing part of those photographs is the fact that they look very much like the way the human eye sees the scene. As you know, a 35 or a 50 millimeter lens quite closely replicates normal human vision. And there's kind of a subset. There's kind of a there's a there's an underlying thing if you think about it uh, with, with the choice of those lenses. Those lenses don't dramatize. They don't sort of isolate the subject from context. They're in a sense very respectful. They're saying, you know, this building or this Hutterite kid delivered neat, transcribed cleanly, neatly, without any sort of creativity. I'm putting quotation marks here, as you can see, but people can't. That that, that sort of um, indicates a, a level of, of respect for the, 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 the thing itself. And um, it puts the creative impulse, if, if that's the right word for it, uh, at the service of the the person or the, or, the, or the thing that you're photographing. You know, that's just the way it's always been for me. And so there's a, even though, you know, digital and film are, are, are different, certainly in some ways. Uh, they can be both uh, harnessed at the service of a, a kind of a respectful, classic, affectionate uh, take on reality, I think. It's interesting to hear you put it that way, um, bringing back to your original sort of description of discovering all the so-called masters or prominent people. After Bresson, we start talking about this idea of accessibility, earning, I like the word earning, um, that closeness, that empathy, that connection to the subject matter. And now we talk about lenses and you use the same sort of rhetoric, which is that, you know, photography often, particularly in the snapshot world and, and the iPhone world, is creating a new nuance of being a little, you know, uh, disaffected and uh, far apart, a little bit snoopy, a little bit voyeuristic, and not a little bit, a lot. And I think that it uh, creates, uh, it has unfortunately uh, created um, quite a street reputation for itself. You know, even myself as a street photographer, or when I per, um, act as a street photographer, there are moments when I want to take pictures that are uh, elevating something that I think are interesting, that someone is doing pleasantly, enjoying. But there are always moments where people are perhaps uh, suffering or um, making a mistake, quote-unquote, or, or something silly or patterns, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for your work, one of the things that draws me, I, the how do I, I, there's another book, I don't remember the names, I don't, uh, but uh, where you were with disadvantaged folks. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you might possibly be thinking of uh, uh, Last Call, the yeah. photographs that were done in the East Village. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. You know, when a photographer isn't trying to steal an image, but rather to have their subject take part in it, even with architecture and uh, old towns, etc. I mean, perhaps you could speak to me about 
this uh, compassion angle that seems to have been there from day one. Um, I don't think that every photographer actually uh, connects that way, but uh, it seems like you genuinely wanted to be, be nice, I suppose. Well, you know what? I, I think it's, um, it's, it's a number of things. Uh, the, the book that you've referenced there, um, uh, Last Call, most of the photographs that are in that book were taken uh, inside the rooms of men living in the King Eddie, St. Louis, or Cecil hotels. And I remember the genesis of that particular project. I was, I was walking past the front of the, uh, the King Eddie, and uh, there was a man standing in the, in the doorway, and there was sun coming through and onto his grizzled face. And, you know, I got to say, I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I sort of uh, wonder about how people get through life, how they've gotten into, into particular situations. The, the, real, the foundation for that is because I think, you know, if you sit down and, li- and, and listen to somebody's story, you're almost inevitably going to be, uh, you're going to learn something useful. I mean, you're going to learn something about how to get through your own life, right? And so uh, so the gentleman that I met was a guy named Robin Randall. He'd been uh, He'd been very successful in the business world, but through uh, problems with alcohol and some bad choices, he'd ended up um, as sort of the, 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 the midnight to 8 a.m. manager at the King Eddie. As I do when I'm in those situations, uh, and it's not unlike when I met you, it's not that you're exactly like Robin Randall down in the King Eddie, but there was something that was kind of a, there was kind of a connection. There was a curiosity. There was a wanting to sort of learn a little bit about this guy. And he was, uh, he was incredibly articulate. He had an incredibly brilliant mind. Uh, but he was living a pretty, a pretty rough life, you know. Uh, but the thing about Robin that I so admired and that was such a valuable thing in my life was, you know, he didn't feel sorry for himself. I mean, his life, I think if I'd gone through the, the challenges that he had, I would have felt sorry for myself, but he was genuinely pretty happy, right? He had his books. He was a voracious reader. He knew baseball statistics. As he said to me more than once, George, I'm 60, but I can still get it up, right? And he, and he had, and, and, and one of the most heartwarming things for me uh, was when he, uh, I'd gotten to know him fairly well, and I'd photographed him extensively over a period of time, you know, in his room and in the hallways and that sort of thing. And he said, you know, I've met this woman, right, uh, that I'm just, I, I'm really in love with. And I thought, wow, this is great, you know, because just the nature of his lifestyle and everything. And it turned out that the woman was of uh, First Nations background, and she was a sex trade worker. And, and so he was telling, well, you know, he said, I, I met her when she came to service me, essentially, right? And I sort of, you know, first of all, it was a bit of a shock, but then I thought, you know, the capacity to sort of rise above sort of expectations and to live with a certain courageous choice in terms of how and who you're going to love, that was, that was powerful stuff, right? And um, I really, like, I really, I deeply admired Robin because of, because I, I thought, you know, this is a guy who, it's not a conventional lifestyle, but it's one which is informed by courageous decision. Um, and I, you know, I admired that deeply. I think we were met, we were meant to meet in some way because there was a one of the photographs I did of him appeared on the cover of uh, Swerve magazine. Uh, there was a story about the about the King Eddie and the afternoon that the that the uh, that the, the issue came out. Um, the editor got an email. The editor Shella Youngblood, who's a very dear friend of mine, 
she'd received an email from one of Robin's brothers. And the email went something like, uh, you know, I saw this picture of my brother and I wasn't sure it was him, but I could recognize him because I recognized his foot or something like that, right? And, and it went on to say, nobody in the family has seen him for over 20 years. We didn't know if he was dead or alive or what was going on. Can you help me find my brother? And so I got the email now. Of course, I couldn't give him up. And, and I was, there was obviously, there had been something in that family dynamic that had led to an enormous great rupture. So I, I printed the letter out. I took it down to Robin. He looked at it and uh, he teared up. He said something like, I didn't think they effing cared about me. It turned out that he, there had been some very significant family estrangement. He had, um, he had a twin sister who he hadn't seen for 20 plus years, mother, brother. And due to that situation, uh, because there was the contact information for the brother, Robin contacted his brother. His brother came down a day or two later with a, with a package of T-shirts for him. And so that, that, that family was sort of reconnected. So, so that was an especially important thing because it's... Um, you know, photog- art, photography, and the like doesn't really typically generally change things, and that's just the way it is. I mean, it, you know, people think that, you know, war photography will end war. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? That's just not what photography does. But, but occasionally, as in that situation, it was, uh, you know, something very special came out of it. And um, what I've just expressed to you there has happened to me literally hundreds of times during my life. You know, I'll be in a, a little used good store in Rockyford, Alberta, or I'll be in a First Nations community or a Hutterite community. And I really, it often brings me very close to tears, right? Somebody that I don't know, that I haven't earned their trust or anything. They'll look at me and they'll feel they're safe, right? They'll feel that they're safe to share some kind of a, 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 often a very powerful and intimate story. I'm deeply respectful of those and very grateful for those uh, those uh, sharing moments. And it's uh it's often in those situations that, for me, photography uh, reaches its, um, in my life, uh, its greatest uh, meaning, right? It's that, it's that, it's that, it's, it's a little tool that's brought me, kind of an introverted guy, into a situation, into a place, into a relationship that I just wouldn't have done if that camera hadn't been tugging me down that hallway sort of thing, right? Uh, it's amazing to hear you um, share that and because as a photographer, but mostly as a viewer, I feel like, I mean, it wouldn't have been worded that way, <laughs> but I feel like you can feel and see that in your work. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like even at the Resolve photo show where you had uh, several images of um, torn up uh, bus, uh, uh, what do you call them? Well, there were things bus like po- posters yeah. and very sort of commercial, uh, f- uh, damaged commercial uh advertising posters yeah and it's not it's not like a you know it's not like yeah it's not war photography with you know with that famous Vietnamese girl who's naked like getting blown by napalm it's it's not like in your face Um, but there is there's something that makes you stop you know in that day because uh, not just naivety but I didn't understand anything I thought it was because of the quality of the print and the color etc but having seen all your work uh, not all I certainly haven't seen all your work George but having seen come across your work here and there like the work that we have together at uh, MRU um, the pictures that you brought uh, from uh, from the reserves fascinating because they don't actually need a description a title or anything like that I, it could be a picture of a horizon but 
you find a way to express, for example, the solitary nature using black and white film photography, I think for that series, um, yes. where you suddenly realize like, holy shit, like they are alone. You know, there's a sense of loneliness, solitariness, um, even without the series or the description of reconciliation. I mean, I didn't even know what I was applying for, to be honest with you, that I got into that program. Looking at yours and Solomon's work, uh, uh, it's been fascinating. And now I, I listen to you and you're asking, you know, you, you have this experience of, um, oh, I don't know why I haven't earned their trust and they still want to trust me. I think there's something, George, where there's an inherent f- form of, I don't know, humility of wanting to actually connect with people, which, uh, I mean, you just describe yourself as an introvert. I don't even know anymore what those two words mean because everybody uses them differently. But I will say that uh, every time we've met, I mean, you've genuinely like tried to say hi to me. <laughs> you don't need to, right? Like I, I want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm like floating around the side, like at the MRU uh, launch show. Uh, because you're late, I actually did the speech there for you. But thank uh, you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're hanging out, and like gallery, gallery people are there, and like you know, Curtis is bringing all these like big, big players, and and like you know, you'll still. Come by and say hi to me. It's, it's crazy. Course, it doesn't make sense. Of course. Of course. <laughs> it's uh, not the world that I thought I experienced before coming to Calgary. And, you know, so maybe my impression of my hometown of Toronto is, is a little bit skewed because of my... Uh, We're thing. a little friendlier out here. Yeah, I think so, man. <laughs> uh, um, but bring, yeah, bring it to Calgary. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's, so I just heard again in the pre-show that you're from Drumheller. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I kind of wanted to bring this into the Calgary focus, which is, you know, what does that mean to be, yeah, like a a personal photographer, both, and I don't know if we want to talk about the difference between commercial, fine art, how to earn money doing art, et cetera, but um, this- Whatever you want, man. You're <laughs> this, the boss. <laughs> this connection to this city um, and your experience over the years of what it means to be a, a photographer and artist in Calgary- uh, um, whether it's been up and down or if it's always been the same kind of grind, whether people respect your work specifically or, you know, there's a lot of great photographers in this city um, and, and in so many different genres and arenas. But um, is there something in your experience that seems to stand out about uh, here versus, I don't know, an expectation of what it would have taken, for example, somewhere else? Or I don't, I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, I, you know, again, I, I'm going to say I was, I was really lucky because, um, you know, these projects that I, 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 I so dearly love to work on, and as you know, I'm not, I'm not one to rush into things. This Alberta book took 39 years to do, right? <laughs> only, only, <laughs> 30. only 39 years, right? And um, I did a book on the, on the, on the, on the Blood First Nations Reserve, and uh, both the photography for the book and subsequent work represented about 25 years of photography. Uh, this past summer, the book I did on the Hutter, I just called The World Within. The front cover, there's a cute little five-year-old and her cousin standing in a, in a, in a shaft of sunlight. And that cute little five-year-old, her name was uh, Maria. And in June, I got a phone call, first ever. We keep, we, I see her, but she's never phoned me. She said, George, you were such an important part of my childhood. I want you to come and photograph my wedding, right? Pretty touching, right? She's 25. So, uh, I've always really thought of photography, um, you know, before I started working as a photographer, which has now been probably 30, well, 30 or 40 years, it's, it's been a long time. Photography was, was, was an interest and a kind of a vocation of mine. And I've always thought of photography as a, as a bit of a mental health thing to get me out of my head. It's something I enjoy. It's something that has kind of a, 
you know, some what of a spiritual uh, component for me. And and the, and the work that I think has value and that I love is uh, is the personal work. Now, you know, if you sort of do the math, I mean, so this book that took me 39 years, I'm and you know, countless hotel rooms and film and cameras and stuff. You know, I, I'm expecting I might pull down something like say five thousand dollars in royalties for 39 years of work and everything else that went into it. So, so I've always um, been really clear in my own mind that uh, there's two different things that I do as a photographer. Uh, there's uh, work that I that comes from the heart, and it's been as I mentioned here, it's been one of the great blessings of my life, and I probably always would have done that whether I was, um, you know, continued as a writer or if I had been, you know, had really any occupation, that would have been a, that would have been a, a passion for me and I would have continued to pursue it. Uh, I've been lucky uh, in that uh, I had a 20 plus year gig. I was a staff photographer at SAIT, you know, from about 1980 to about 2002, actually. Over. It was fantastic. You know, I went in every day and we, we photographed bolts or we photographed some kind of annual report or we photographed a portrait or God knows what, right? For publications, marketing purposes, uh, edu- ed- you know, teaching materials. We had a lovely studio, dark room. So it was just, it was great. Like I went in nine to five and I sort of did stuff, you know, that a place like Sate would require. And at that time, uh, most of the educational institutions, the hospitals, the oil companies, that, that was a common thing. Staff photography positions, I there's maybe like none, even in this big city that we live in today, right? Uh, and for about the last 16 or 17 years uh, since leaving SAIT, I've done, you know, a lot of magazine and commercial work. And, and I've been lucky. Part of it was because I built up some connections in those years where I was doing, um, you know, where I was working as a staff photographer. But if anybody had ever said to me, how would you like a career in freelance photography? I wouldn't have thought about it for a millisecond because I just think it's too unpredictable, right? Now, I've had the good fortune of that long-term gig with SAIT relationships that built up out of that. Uh, I also teach quite a bit, as you know. Um, But I've never, and I think this is a good thing uh, for what it's worth, I've never confused the fact that you do some things uh, for love and you do some things for money. And I think uh, it has been my experience, and it's sad. uh, You know, you'll meet very talented young photographers who give everything. They give their energy, their passion, their their financial resources to create work with the hope that that work will generate um, a living or an income. And I I won't say that it can't, but it certainly hasn't in my life. And, it, and it's, it's a very, very rare thing. So the photographer that I most admire, living Canadian photographer, is a gentleman named Orsem Chishin. He's going to be part of the um, Exposure Photography Festival. Contemporary Calgary is, is um, putting together a major exhibition of analog photography. It's called, um, I can't remember the name now, but it's going to take over both full gallery spaces at the Alberta College of Art and Design. Orisem Chishin, who I was a huge influence on me, was a, is a brilliant, uh, self-effacing, humble documentary photographer, and he's a radiologist, right? So he made a living uh, as a as a, he was an he was a doctor. He was a radiologist, right? And on the weekends, he went out and photographed. And to me, it represents some of the most sublime documentary photography that has ever been created. 
And so I like to, you know, if I'm talking to a youngographer, and I say this affectionately and respectfully, it's good to care about and to give a lot of, of yourself to your work, but be careful that it's not an unrequited love affair because it's it's not, in my experience, a reasonable expectation that you can make a living doing that. You know, Ora Simchishin, I think one of the greatest Canadian photographers. Uh, there was another wonderful book, not that well known, but done by a Calgary photographer named Harry Palmer a number of years ago called Calgary People and Places. Harry Palmer was uh, essentially, uh, he worked in the energy industry as a geologist. A, a great book on uh, Alberta miners done by a guy named Larry Christmas. Larry was also, you know, he was a coal geologist. So I'm not saying don't do photography. Uh, like I've been lucky because I do, you know, a lot of, commercial and editorial and magazine work and teaching, as I, as I mentioned. Um, uh, but I've always really, really clearly understood the, 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 the difference. And I've never, even though I've been very fortunate with, you know, at this, I think at last kind of got just under 2,000 photographs in major Canadian and international collections, right? The, uh, the Art Gallery of Alberta, the Glenbow, the National Archives, the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, the Australian National Gallery. But you, you don't make money on this stuff. It sounds great. I think if you love photography and you want to make great photographs, you have got absolutely no excuse for not doing that. And you can't say, because I'm not going to make money. Well, you bloody well figure out. You mentioned to me the last time we ran into each other, you showed me your awesome business card. Your son had, had insisted you put the word hello on the back, right? You being a dad, you know, I mean, raising a kid is, it, it, you know, it, it's a major expenditure of resources, but it's, it's, to, it's to support somebody that you love dearly, right? And I think creative work is often of that, of that quality as well. And I don't say those to discourage people, but just to say, you know, this is, you're going to give a lot more in a sense, certainly in terms of resources, than you're, than you're likely to get back. But, man, it is worth it. It is worth it, big time. I, you mentioned, you know, the word spiritual uh, in approach to your photography. I, I mean, I, I'm experiencing the same thing. And I, I hang out now with so many creatives and artists, um, there's definitely a spot where that's a requirement. I mean, why else express yourself in such a way that uh, pushes against perhaps, uh, you know, uh, the, I'll, I'll use the word capitalist norm as Kyle's been teasing me because I'm uh, essentially becoming a proto-socialist at this point. But but listening to your, you know, true and, and uh, factual advice, at least from your experience, which is in order for us also to survive as creatives in said capitalist world, you still do have to make money, and it's kind of a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess specifically for Calgary, I wonder, and I don't know if you have any insight into this, but whether there is, I mean, there is an impression, I think, at least at the, my tier, I, I, I don't know about the fine artists or the guys that are actually succeeding at commercial uh, art and photography, um, but certainly at the sort of... Uh, um, and I mean, it sounds so condescending, entry level, or um, I, I do this just because I have to type of uh, artists. Um, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> uh, is there something in Calgary that's uniquely oppressive? Is there something that's specifically uh, difficult to connect with your average 
Calgarian to care that, you know, um, I, I actually don't know who painted this, but somebody painted a, a beautiful uh, hyper-colored dog um, in Kyle's uh, podcast room. What we're doing at Perspectives, we're trying to build these narratives to connect people to the artists themselves rather than the art itself, which is not to take anything away from the art, but I'm having trouble um, putting on shows and building the magazine. We're having people connect, as you're bringing up, in a monetary way. Lots of people give us great pats on the back, but it sounds like, uh, not that I want to be a radiologist, but it sounds like uh, maybe the reality is something a little bit more sobering that I need to find uh, alternate <laughs> things to support us while we, while we build these uh, mechanisms. I mean, I, I don't, what's your impression of uh, how we're making out in our infancy? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's, it's a challenge, you know, and I think that... Um I, I don't know if there's kind of a simple answer, you know, I, and I'm not sure if it's, um, if I can offer a sort of a broad piece of advice. I, as I say, in my own situation, I've been happy and it's kind of been my reality that over for most of my working career, I see something, I engage with it, I photograph it, I print it either in the dark or in the with the digital printer and then I put it in a box and I put it in a shelf in the basement sort of a thing, right? And I know that's completely out of step with um, an Instagram or the other social media where, where, where there's that, the norm today is, is to sort of uh, quickly, you know, bring your, bring your work to an audience. And, um, but I, it, you know, it's, 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 it always has been, and I think perhaps it always will be the reality that it's um, making creative work uh, commercially viable, that's a challenging thing. You know, I, uh, Swerve Magazine, which I did work for for years and years, and, you know, last year was awarded the National Magazine Gold Award for photojournalism for a, a piece on the, the Midfield Mobile Home Park. They ceased publication recently. You know, traditional media uh, are, which which had been, you know, patrons typically of the arts, they're, they're certainly suffering. I think that... Um, but it's always been hard. Like, I mean, you know, I never, ever, 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 ever thought that, you know, I'd be able to make a living as a photographer. I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't have even thought of it. But by the time I left SAIT after being a staff photographer there for many years, I didn't kind of know how to do anything else. So I thought, well, I better just see if I can make, make this work. But it's always been challenging. And the thing that makes it slightly different nowadays is that it's, it's sort of, it's more democratic. There's, there's, many, many more uh, sort of content producers and, you know, in, in all the media now than there ever was. So I think kind of, yes, if I possibly kind of have to find, make your peace with that. It's something you do because you love to do it. You have a cautious uh, sort of a, of a sense of how that might lead to a sort of economic um, benefit. You know, it's, I guess, as I said, it's a little bit like being a dad, right? You do it because, you, you know, you try to make, I guess, re reasoned decisions about what things are likely to connect with a, some kind of payment and which things are as good as they might be are, are going to be closer to more of a, of, a, of a legacy to your community and your country and, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, add, add to the bank account. It is true, though, I think, to say that... Um, the ability to kind of, however you do it, to, to sustain the, the, the effort uh, and the energy that's required in doing creative work. You know, the longer you, the longer you sustain it, you know, the, the greater the chance of some kind of success. Because it is something that, you know, 
people fall away because it, it often is disappointing or it's it's it doesn't sort of work, you know, in terms of a, of a, of a financial model. No advice that anybody like me can ever tell you will be right because it's it's changed, right? I mean, it's it's an entirely different world now than than when I was your age, and it's you know, the good things, bad things, good luck, bad luck. Those things are, you know, you can look at them retrospectively and say, well, this happened, and then this came out of it. But it's it, it, it not quite that neat in in real life, as you know. I'm reminded suddenly of that Netflix. I've referenced it before in one of the podcast episodes. There's a Netflix episode uh, movie. I'm I'm claiming my wife was watching it, uh, and I watched it by, by mistake. Um, but one of the phrases that they came up with, uh, and this is definitely not verbatim, was something like, "When you like someone, you list the things that you like about them. When you love someone, you do it in spite of." Oh. And um, when you bring up, I mean, not that uh, a lot of wisdom in that, David. Yeah, not that wisdom, I want yeah. to uh, say in spite of, of my son Emerson because he's the best. He's uh, he's a goofball, but. When someone you love does something that you would normally find morally irreprehensible, or you want to fucking throw something out of, when you love someone, you're like, it's nothing. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah that yeah. really upset me, but let's mm-hmm. let's move on because there's yeah. something worth you. Yeah, and yeah. you brought up yeah. Yeah. Uh, the illusion and the connection of connecting my son to my art. I, I agree with you. I mean, I I've recently looked at my um, you know my uh, database, and I'm like, I haven't gone out shooting in a while, and uh, I teased my boyfriend Alvin Perringit uh, out, and it was I don't know. There's something when you go out, and you, it's not about like you said, it's not about the end, it's not about making money. It's just something more about the connection and doing yeah. the art. In this case, photography, but it must be the same. I, I presume for painters and for for uh, uh, producers of podcasts and media content. Absolutely, uh, man. Absolutely. <laughs> um, no, no, you're right. It, you know, it's it, it's 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 attaching to kind of a higher part of our humanity. But you know, really for me, honest to God, it's it's a survival thing, right? I just, uh, you know, creative work gets you out of. I'm pointing at my head here right now. It gets you out of this place for a while, and that's that's. You know, there's lots of ways to get out of your head, right? And a lot of those ways of getting out of your head are can be damaging. You know, uh, there's lots of bad. Everybody has to do it somehow, right? And I think uh, people who uh, engage in creative work, it, it's a healthy thing. It's a life connecting thing. It's a it's a society building thing. It's it's a so you know that that gift itself that 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 gift to be tender to your child that gift to create a photograph that gift, that or impulse to create a photograph or to create a create a podcast that in itself is an enormous great gift and you have to recognize it as such right it's like you know an act of intimacy is in itself a beautiful thing they need to you know to to talk about that, I mean, or to ever, heaven forbid, brag about that or something like that is, is you know, it, 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 it devalues it in a sense, right? And I, you know, for me, the being out there with Maria, you know, on her wedding day, and I've got a picture of her hugging me, you know, on her wedding day in her, in her long blue dress. I mean, those experience things are, you know, I know it, it's a cliche, it's corny, but it's, it's you know, it, it's ultimately true. And I think that uh, if you can, I, I would hope for both of you guys when I'm looking across the table out here, uh, that you'll be able to find a place in your heart and in your life to connect with this gift that you've got. Because if you do, you'll be a little better, you'll be a little happier, and you'll leave the world a little tiny bit better and happier than it was, right? So, so you bloody well keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a command, eh, Kyle? 
Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, George, for hanging out with us. Um, and so uh, is there anything that uh, you brought up the Alberta book? Is there anything we want to plug? I know uh, you're showing and speaking at Exposure. We're going to try to push this to be launched with or around Exposure. So cool. Um, what, uh, is there anything you want to? Well, yeah, you know, since you've asked me, there's a couple of nice things. Uh, there's going to be, um, I've been asked by Exposure to do a little, um, I think about a three-hour presentation on documentary photography, how to do a, you know, how do you research, how do you do it, how do you contact people, how do you connect, how do you bring it to fruition. So that's uh, Donna Schwartz, the, um, the sort of the CEO of Exposures, asked me to do that. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Contemporary Calgary, this exhibition that they're hosting at ACAD on analog photography, they're also going to have a um, sort of a panel discussion uh, component to it which I'm going to be participating in. So, um, yeah, you know, it's great. And let me just put in a little plug. A good friend of mine, a guy named Craig Richards, uh, and uh, another colleague of mine, Diane Boss, founded the Exposure Photography Festival. I think it's been 15, 16 years ago. It was a modest little thing. And it's grown now to to a really wonderful opportunity for people to connect. And, like, I think, you know, we, in a sense, that's how kind of we connected, right? And so sometimes these little acts of generosity in the case of creating the Exposure Festival has led to, you know, the three of us sitting in this room. And that's the, the beautiful thing about, you know, creative work. You know, it, 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 it's like, you know, it's like your son, right? It, it, they grow up, they get bigger, <laughs> they do more strange and unusual things kind of a thing, right? And you can never quite know what those are, but, it, but it's, be, it, you know, it, it's that initial impulse for, well, you know, love, in its many forms that often, not always sadly, but often leads to uh, something beautiful for the creator and for the community in which they live as well. Thank you again, George. We'll cross paths, I'm sure, in the next month. Uh, Absolutely. um, Anything else, Kyle? So Kyle just told me to shut up. uh, So we'll call that the end of the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Chinese market now, you love their steam bow. Hello, hello. Have a drink for me at O'Hanalee's. Ride ginger press. Missing you greatly from all the rest in me. All the best. This podcast has been brought to you by Media Lab YYC. Cal Marshall runs this amazing little outfit here in downtown Calgary. Um, And we wanted to say this. Here at Media Lab YYC, we help you share your stories with the public. Video, audio, business, personal. Let us help you take your idea to the finish line. 
You've just heard a great new track by a band here called Thomas Thomas. They are amazing, all in yellow, and about to debut an EP soon. They gave us the incredible honor of using their amazing track, Gracious Hosts, for our podcast. And I just wanted to uh, let you all know that you should be definitely checking them out on Instagram. And once they're on Spotify and Apple and all that stuff, we're going to let you know. Thanks to Thomas Thomas and all the other amazing musical uh, people that we're meeting through this project. Um, Yeah.